I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and those emerging. This episode with Peter Coombe was recorded over Zoom, so just so you know, the sound is not as good as it usually is in this episode, so I apologise about the sound, but it was a great interview and I was super excited to talk to the wonderful Peter Coombe. We're rolling. Fantastic. All right, are you ready if I, if I kick it off, Peter? Yeah, that's fine. You, you, carry, you carry on. I'll just put my phone on mute so I don't get any interruptions. What a professional. <laughs> Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Nature or Nurture, the podcast where I talk to fascinating people about the key milestones that made them who they are today. And anyone my age will know this person. They would be a massive fan of this person. It is wonderful. Peter Coombe, welcome. Hi, Sam. Yeah, nice to be here. It's lovely to have you. Now, Peter, I always start this podcast by asking a question that I think is a pretty simple question, but it's absolutely not at all. The question is, do you think that nature or nurture had the greatest impact on who you are today yeah that, that's yes and often often asked question that one and there's, there's really there's really no answer to it um, i think that i i really really can't give you a clear answer i i say certainly that uh, nurture has a lot to do with it mm-hmm. i mean if you take a person who was maybe maybe was naturally gifted and was, was never encouraged at all uh there's a good chance they may not ever reach that potential which they had but yeah. so it's, it's a really interesting question um I mean, in my see, in my family, for example, my, my children, all my children are musical. Now, I can't believe that it hasn't got something to do with the fact that I'm musical and I've put music as a, a very important thing in our family. My wife, Carol, is also musical. Yeah. So it, uh, chances are, I think, uh, you know, nurture would kick in and um, and my children probably have a, a reasonable chance of being musical too. But how much is it, how much is a gift? It, it's It's just... I think it's really impossible to really know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, where did you you grew up in Adelaide, uh, Peter? And you, were you one of one of four children? Is that right? I was one, one of four children. Yeah, yeah, one of four. I'm the I'm the, I'm number three. In number the, three. Uh, the scheme of things, yes. <laughs> and 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 what were your what were your other siblings like at that at that time? Were they all musical as well? Uh, my sister, older sister, uh, played piano as a, as a young child. She, she became quite a good pianist. She, she mm. just plays for fun these days. She's quite musical. My brother, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to know John. I mean, John loves music; he loves it. But I don't really know how musical he really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I won't cast. I won't uh, cast an opinion on him. <laughs> I might get myself in trouble. But he, he's, I know he loves music. Yeah. And my younger sister, Catherine, I think she's quite musical. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm the only person who's actually made a, made a career out of it. Where did it come from for you? What, what was the first time that you picked up an instrument? Was there anyone you're listening to that you just loved? Uh, well, I, I started playing piano when I was about nine, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, the other thing I noticed at the same time I started singing harmonies to pop songs on the radio. I discovered that I could, I could do nat- natural thirds and fifths harmonies. Yeah, so that's something. Uh, to this day, I don't know how what why some people can do that, 
Uh, my children can all do it. My wife can do it. Now, we're, again, is that nurture or nature? I don't, I don't know. Uh, so I didn't actually, um, I didn't pick up the guitar till I was around about 17. I joined a folk group. And yeah. but once I picked up the guitar, there was just no stopping me. It, you sort of be, it becomes an obsession and you just play it and play it. And the first thing you want to do when you get up in the morning is pick up your guitar. And that's how it was with me. That's how, that's how it's been with my son, Tom, who's also become a very good guitar player. And also I noticed I've, I've got a grandchild, Oliver, who's also started picking up playing the guitar. And the other day I, I found him playing George Harrison's Here Comes the Sun. Wow. But, wow. But, but even more impressive, he was playing the same key as George Harrison. So that, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No juicy, juicy green grass just yet, though. No, he's probably. He's probably uh, I'm probably not cool for him at the moment. <laughs> he'll probably go through that phase where he maybe doesn't want to play, play any of my songs. But uh, but he he has performed with me a lot. But uh, but most of my grandchildren have recorded with me and also performed with me. Um, in fact, one of my other grandchildren is actually going to be is going to be in my fringe show uh, coming up in Adelaide next next March. So wow. Five out of my seven kids have either recorded or performed with me or both. The only reason Tom's kids and my son's kids haven't because they, they live in Burley Heads. Otherwise, I'm sure they, they'd, they'd have been a fringe show too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you encourage them to pick up a musical instrument? Was that a big part of their childhood? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very much. Encourage, yeah, very much, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in, in a way, that's the best thing you can do with your children if you – whether they, I, I would probably encourage my children to, to try music anyway, even if they didn't show any particular ability at it. I mean, my, in the case of my four children, they, they all, they're all, all very music from a very young age. In fact, my um, little grandson, Oliver, recorded a song called Red Says Stop, or when he, in his case, it was Wed Says Stop. Lovely list. <laughs> <laughs> he recorded that song back in about 2012 on, on the Quirky Berserky album. And again, he's only three, but his pitch was lovely. And yep. uh, obviously a musical child. And since then, he's actually done duets with me on stage. And uh, he's got a lovely um, sense of very, nothing seemed, nothing seemed to throw him. He Like he performed in a show at the Dunstan Playhouse, which is uh, one of our one of our classiest theatres in Adelaide. That's about a, about a, about a 560-seater. Wow! Got up and sang a duet and just just did it. I was never never worried about it. I, I was never worried about him. I knew he'd be fine. Yep. And that's one thing I've learned with, with talented kids. You never have to worry about them. They'll always be okay. In fact, I find talented kids are often more reliable than seasoned professionals. So that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what was a young Peter Coombe like growing up in growing up in Adelaide? Oh, uh, young Peter Coombe was very interested in uh, cricket, cricket, tennis, and football. Yep, a typical, typical Aussie boy in a way, and uh, did the music thing, learning piano at the age of nine, and uh, learned singing harp along, along with harmonies. But I was a pretty, I was a pretty, um, I guess, normal kind of. I was a very happy child. Mm-hmm. People say I, I have a happy disposition, which which is true. But I was um, very lucky to have a very nice childhood. I had two two wonderful parents who are now both both dead, but they were just. Um, I felt very, I felt very loved. And they loved me. And I think that sense of um, being loved is really, really important. So mm. I would I would thank that for the rest of my life for giving me a, a really almost idyllic childhood. Yeah. And what you can you can never never come not not appreciate it enough. What what did they do when what did they do as a profession? As a profession, mm. my father was uh, worked with um, about six different ed- educa- state education ministers. He was the secretary. To, to the education 
to ministers in, in Adelaide. In fact, if you think of the, the TV series um, Yes Minister, mm-hmm. Jim Hacker's secretary was a guy called Bernard, but and right. Bernard uh, Bernard Woolley. Well, my father was a secretary to, to education ministers. He was also called Bernard. So it's a, it's a very interesting father because um, he was Bernard and he was secretary to uh, a number of different uh, ministers of education. Yeah, wow. Did you did you ever think about when you were little? Were you thinking about following in your father's footsteps, or was there any was there any I guess determination or dream of yours that was anywhere other than music? Uh I, I really didn't know. I mean, I mean, at the age of 17 uh, in high school, my last year in high school, which I regard as almost a complete waste of time because I, I did nothing but science subjects and uh, I, had, I had absolutely no interest in science subjects at all. I do now, but yep. when I was 17, uh, I I really had no idea what, what I was going to be. I, I just didn't have a clue. Mm. And I think that was, that's fairly common, I think, with people of that age. I had absolutely. no idea. And then I suppose the, the only influence my father had me was, and this is good, he, he encouraged, encouraged me to become a teacher. And that, that was a good move because my teaching background has served me very well in my, in my profession as a, a children singer-songwriter. So that was yeah. that was great. That was quite good that Dad sort of could see, I think, I would have, I was quite a good communicator and uh, I'd make a good teacher. And I think I was a good teacher. He says, he says so modestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... That, that 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 was great, um, but really, even when I was teaching, I, I was I was in folk groups. But I and I think in the back of my mind was always that feeling of would well, be it'd be nice to do this full time. Yeah, but I didn't really start doing that uh, until I shifted to Sydney in the, in nineteen seventy five. We we shifted to Sydney. We had had two had two of our two children that stage, Charlie mm. and Alice, who were about three and two, and we shifted to Sydney. And there, I can't, I sort of like. In, in the words of the professional, was paid my dues. I did all I did all these kind of hard gigs, like performing in hotels where people weren't listening, performing yeah. in Sydney clubs, which I'd never recommend to anyone. It's no fun performing <laughs> in Sydney club. And, you know, setting up my own PA, lugging it around in, into hotels and things. I sang once uh, through a brawl. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> I've seen John Denver's incredibly saccharine sweet to uh, Song "Sunshine on My Shoulders." Sunshine <laughs> on my shoulders makes me happy, and uh, and, and 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 a brawl broke out. <laughs> it's like, I just kept on singing. I think the brawl finished some, somewhere about verse three or something. But so that, that was fun. <laughs> so Sydney was a Sydney was a real a real learning ground. Uh, yeah. That, for what I then then did in the UK was was the plan to go to Sydney as as an artist was that the plan and keep teaching on the side did you just want to go to Sydney because that was kind of where you saw everything happening yeah that that, that that's pretty much it yeah, I went to Sydney taught taught uh, part time mm-hmm. and uh, but my aim was to then to get into showbiz and uh, I did a couple of interesting things in Sydney I mean I, I, for example I auditioned for a rock a rock opera called um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, based mm-hmm. on the Beatles, of course. And I didn't get the lead part, but I got but I got to understudy the lead the lead part. So I got to perform that about eight times. It was one of, it was one of the scariest gigs I've ever done because yeah. I had to perform when, when one of the lead guys got, and I had to step in. I had to perform with no, with no rehearsal at all. So that was a pretty scary gig. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. Yes. I, I did okay, but uh, I was sort of a – Fighting the nerves all the way, so that, so that was good. Uh, so Sydney was a really good um, training ground for what I then did from then on. You know, starting with going, going to the UK. We went, went to the UK in early early nineteen seventy seven. 
And, and what was the plan in the UK? I know that you looked someone up when you got there, someone's number that you got from in Adelaide. Is that right? I did. Yeah, I had a couple. I had, had a friend of mine who had a, he gave me a number and uh, and I ran, I rang this number and somehow or other I got, ended up talking to some of the BBC and, and they just had to be auditioning for a, pro, a, a television series then called Music Time, which is a, a program for young children. Mm. And I was, uh, luckily I auditioned for it. I nearly blew it. Because when I first auditioned, uh, I didn't realize you actually, actually, actually had to know the script. I thought you just read it, seeing it's audition. Yeah. And the uh, and the, the, the producer said, "I realized that uh, I hadn't, I didn't know you had to learn it." So yes, uh, I think she thought she thought I had the potential to do the program well. So she thought, "Why don't you go home, learn it, and come back, come back tomorrow?" So I did, and uh, I got the gig, and uh, it was something that was just an incredibly wonderful experience. So we, Worked for the BBC for three years. It's, it's, it's one of my great regrets that I didn't stay longer. We mm-hmm. stayed in England for about not quite three years, and I did have made about a hundred music time programs. And wow. looking back on it, I, I wish I'd stayed longer. But but we literally had no money. We we we, 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 we couldn't have really afford to because even though I was doing this BBC program, it was only part time. So the yeah. amount of income coming it, it wasn't enough to support us. But Looking back on it, being wise after the event, I would think I would found some sort of way of uh, of Carol going back to Australia maybe for a month and to see you know parents, grandparents, mm. and other members of the family, and me staying in England. Uh, so that would have been one less airfare. But you know, I'm, I'm being wise after the event, Sam. <laughs> it's always the best way, though. For you, did you always want to be a kid, a, a musician for children? Was was that the was that the plan when you were growing up or did that kind of come from your teaching? And I, I actually wanted to be the world's next Paul Simon basically. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, a lot of other people also wanted to be the world's next Paul Simon. <laughs> in the end, there's really only one Paul Simon. But no, I, I went to the UK with the idea of becoming a full-time an adult singer-songwriter. And it was just while I was there because I was doing this children's music program for the BBC, Music Time, I started writing songs for children. Mm. And, it was, and I found it came quite naturally to me. It was something I thought, I think I have some ability, ability to do this. And of course, very few people were doing that in those days. There was hardly anyone writing new songs for children. It was a, almost unheard of. So I sent some of the songs back to the ABC and they, they took some of them on and used them. And there's a little little song, well, two of them you might, one of them's called um, I Can Run Together. I can run this bus as you, I can run this bus as you, I can run this bus as you, running on the spot. And that one's been used on Play School for the past yeah. um, about 45 years. It's just a cut, and the, there's another one called uh, Rhythm, Rhythm, Everybody's Got a Little Rhythm. And that's been used on Play School too. So uh, once I I guess I, I, I had with the ABC taking up some of those songs at Play School. I started thinking about the idea of being a children's songwriter. Mm. I said no one was really no one was doing it. It was just an unheard of thing to write new songs to children. So when I came back to Australia in uh, 1980, uh, I I actually made it my first children's album, and that's where it all kind of I guess started off. So it was a uh, yeah, it, but but I realised that after a while that. I somehow to be a children's song and it was quite suitable to my personality because I you know, I'm, I have a fairly optimistic uh, view of the world. I'm very, very a cup half full sort of person mm. and that, that allies with children's view of the world. Most kids are pretty positive. So, and I, I love children's sense of humour. I, I tend to laugh at the same things. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've always loved people like Monty Python who have got, you know, have this lovely sense of the ridiculous. Yeah. So that's what happened. 82, I, uh, 
record a song with little kids, which was my very first children's album, and that uh, it sort of took off. Well, not not took off. It took. It was a very much a, a cottage industry to begin with, yeah. running off cassettes of a real tape recorder. So it started a very very small time, but I I did sense right from the beginning that I was onto something that which was going to going to get bigger. And of course, yeah. And, and so you filmed. Uh, was it the first children's music video ever in Australia at the time? I'd met this lady at the ABC called Diana Manson. Uh, and uh, uh, and I simply suggested to Diana, wouldn't it be nice if, uh, because you can never get airplay for children's uh, songs on the radio, no one will play a children's song on the radio, mm. wouldn't it be nice if you made a full-length video of a song a song from an album, in this case it was Toffee Apple from my, my children's album, and got it got played on television in full so parents could simply hear the song. Because there's no other way of hearing it apart from in those days you go into a shop and you pick up an, an album and you, and you could play it in the shop. But wouldn't it be nice if, like, like as you do with pop music, you actually hear the song and see the song on, on television? Mm. And that's what happened with Tokyo. It became kind of a huge hit. You know, won the first ever kids aria. Uh, so it was, I guess, it was a fairly, a fairly historic album. And 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 for you to actually, I guess, when you're coming up with the visuals for that, was that a hard thing because there weren't kids music videos at the time? Was it hard to visualise that? What was your creative vision? Oh, I, I really, really didn't have a creative uh, vision for the video itself. I, I did all the song, I did the song, mm. arranged the song, recorded all that. But the the, the actual video was made by a, a, a director in Sydney, and she had she had the vision I mean, in the sense of knowing what to be in the video. Obviously, lots of toffee apples and lots of kids. <laughs> I, I I can't remember whether I talked about that with her or not. I possibly did. But really, you know, I, I can't take credit for the clip that was really done by, and I can't, can't even, I don't think that the name is, no, not Leslie Nielsen, it's the actor. She, it became just, what what happened was all of a sudden, this full length clip got played on ABC television mm. before play school, after play school, before Sesame Street, morning and afternoon. It's just that wonderful thing where parents got to hear a, to- a song from beginning to end. That was the critical thing. You could yeah. actually hear a song from beginning to end. If you, yeah, if you hated it, you're not going to go and buy it. If you loved it, would you, would you go and buy it? And that's in the days when ABC shops existed, and they were just a, a huge part of the of, of, of the way things worked. Then you could uh, see a song on ABC television and think, I'd like that. So you go to an ABC shop and you buy it. It was very, very straightforward. But that, that, that had never been done before. And yeah. I never expected the ABC to actually do it. I thought, I'll suggest this idea of a full-length video clip for Toffee. Yeah, well, thinking, oh, no, they won't do that. And to, to my amazement, they said yes. Because it was an inc- incredible breakthrough at the time. Was there was there a moment when you realised you were actually having an impact? Was there a moment when you started to realise that kids were recognising you and getting excited to see you in the street? Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Definitely. Once you're on television, like you know, umpteen times a week, mm-hmm. and young children see, and of course their parents see you as well. Yes. Yeah, so there was a lot. Lots of recognition in uh, in all the capital city, or well, all, all cities really, mm. and uh, it was it was lovely. It was, um, and I think that when you become a public figure, I often often think that people who are public figures are grizzled about the public coming up to them asking and things. Really, it's a it's a little bit disingenuous because if you become a public figure, you've got to expect the fact that people will come up and ask for your autograph and want to chat to you and all that. So it was lovely. It was really nice. Yeah, and and going back to when you said that you're a really optimistic person and always upbeat, have you always been like that? Is that just who you are as a person? I, that's, that's basically basically who I am. Yeah, and I said I, I give give my mum and dad a lot of credit for that. Mm. Again, is is it nature nurture? I always all I know is I had a very happy childhood, and I've never stopped appreciating that. 
And I'm sure that had an impact on, on my view of the world. You're very cut half full sort of person. But um, maybe I am just naturally that way inclined, but I, I've always been that way. And uh, that's yeah. how I am with my children, everyone really. And I, and I, I've just, um, that's the way I'm built. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of people say as well, when you meet someone's parents, that they suddenly make sense, that they're, they all, they, they all of a sudden, you, you kind of see similarities there. Were you were you a split between your mum and your dad, do you think? I, I probably was, yeah. I think mum, mum and dad both like, like music. Mm. Uh, but but the, the critical thing was just feeling very loved. I think mm. it, it can never be underestimated, feeling loved by your parents. Um, but, yeah, my, my dad um, uh, was quite musical. He, mm. he, he had classical music. But my mum... <laughs> she used to do something which she regarded as incredibly uncool. She used to actually sit with me in our lounge at home and together we would listen to Peter Paul Mary and Simon de Garfunkel. And I've often thought for a 17-year-old boy who's sitting listening to that music with his mum would seem very uncool. <laughs> but she would love me. She, she loved, she loved us. That was, that, that was the relationship I had with my parents. They, uh, we got on very well together. They were always both incredibly supportive of my career and that, that's and again, I, I never, I've never taken that for granted. In fact, they were very supportive. That's mm. uh, so lucky too, because my my parents were also very supportive. So I guess that um, all those things you can you can easily sort of forget, but uh, I don't because uh, I know how important it all was. Yeah, and and with your kids, do you see similarities? You know, with them, with you? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. We we tend to share a very similar sense of humor, my yeah. kids and I. And I I brought my kids up on Faulty Towers. It's my my favorite ever television program. We, we, yeah. we can quick quote whole whole paragraphs of it, all of us. And uh, I have a, I share a particularly strong sense of humor with my son. We he has a very kind of almost black sense of humor. It's very yeah. subtle, drop. But but, but we I, we tend to I tend to love the same things with all my children. So that, that's that's been lovely and still is lovely. So, so for you, when you started doing the, I, I mean, you started performing for adults after a, a long time and an amazing career. You started performing for adults of all the kids that grew up with you. Where did where did that, you know, where did that idea come from to to start performing for adults? That was very interesting. Um, what happened was I did this. Um, there's a gig in Adelaide called Schutzenfest. Now mm-hmm. Schutzenfest is a, a German beer drinking festival. Mm-hmm. And I, I got asked to do it two years in a row. And the second year I did it, it was an incredibly hot day, about, about 40, 41 degrees. And I was going to be performing outside and the audience audience would have been sitting outside in the sun. I remember thinking, well, who on earth is going to want to sit outside in the sun when it's 41 degrees? No one's going to want to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be singing to no one, basically. Said, Let, let's shift the show inside. So we did. And, uh, th- so, but I, I remember now there were very few children there. And I, I, I also thought at the time, why, why am I being asked to drink, drink at a, a German beer drinking festival? It's inappropriate, <laughs> but I was. Anyway, what happened was I sang my usual, you know, best-known songs, Toffee Apple, Newspaper Mama, Juicy Juice, Greengrass, White Face Notice, all that. And the audience kind of went crazy. They just they sang everything. And, of course, at that point I was kind of a little bit sort of what, like, what's going on here? And they actually stormed the stage. And it was kind of... <laughs> It was quite an extraordinary, extraordinary hour of performing, and of course, I got up, I got off the stage after, and I guess it was the obvious that they simply loved hearing the songs they grew up on. These would be mm. a lot of people around about mid twenties, and so from that point, I did, I did another show in Adelaide, and the same thing happened. I absolutely sold out, 
So it became clear then that there was a tour in this. So then, uh, this, this is probably going back to around about, I reckon, maybe 2004, 2005, maybe even earlier than that. Mm. So a tour was set up. And I did um, shows in all, all the great music venues in Australia. Like in Melbourne, it was shows at the ESPY, mm. at the Corner Hotel, and often with my band. And they just remain to this day one of, one of the most memorable things I've ever done, to have to have young people sort of mid-20s up to 30 at 10 o'clock at night singing along to children's songs. <laughs> it was just an extraordinary experience. And they just they loved it. They just loved it. Yeah. And, I like to think the Wiggles actually copied this idea because I, I, I saw them doing it a few years later as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take credit for the idea. Yeah, I think you absolutely should. <laughs> it's a really, a, a really, really lovely, lovely thing to be doing. And uh, some people say, "Oh, yeah, it's just it was just the alcohol talking." Well, the alcohol really was a very minor factor. Mm. I mean, the fact that they could you know drink wine, beer, whatever alcohol at the gig was that they all did. But it was it was the difference between say having a of glasses of wine and having tin. There was very few people actually got drunk. So the wine or the beer simply made them more mellow. But yeah. the, the enthusiasm with which they sang the songs, it's just it was just astonishing. And it still leaves me a bit of a lump on the front when I think about it. I think these lovely young people standing in the front row and, and knowing every word of every song. And I often thought, why do they know the song so well? And of course the answer was fairly obvious because when you're a young child and you really, really like a song or like an album, you don't just play it two or three times. You play it a hundred times. Yeah. Every night for month after month, it, you know, you drive your parents crazy. <laughs> so that that's that was the story of what I call my big kids night out on my 18 plus shows. And I did about probably I about 115, 120 of them. Wow. I don't do them now um, because that audience now, they, they're, they're, they're like, they're now like about 40 and they've got their own children. But what they do now is they now come to my friend shows and they bring their children with them. So I have this uh, three-tiered audience of uh, <laughs> young kids, uh, their parents, maybe mid to late 30s, and often their, often their parents, people like 65, 70. So it's a really interesting, interesting development. Yeah. So do you have moments when you reflect on – the impact that you've made on a lot of a lot of children and then their kids. Do you have a moment where you can appreciate that? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I do have a, a quite a quite a heightened sense of uh, how much influence I guess I've had musically, and I get it's wonderful. Uh, I mean, music for me has always been a the greatest form of communication, and uh, to have people loving the songs. And there's been some really amazing moments. I'll, I'll tell you one or two actually. Mm. The song of mine on. Uh, on my Christmas album called Love and Joy. And it's one I'd love. It's, it's one of my serious songs on the Christmas album. And uh, this guy in Melbourne said his father always cried every time he heard it. And that that, that was a, a wonderful compliment. Wow. But the second thing was, um, there was a song I recorded on my live album. called It's called Music of the Day or Bracket Sing, Bird, Sing. And uh, this girl came up to me. This is, this is only last year when I was doing my, um, my greatest hits tour in Melbourne. And she simply came up to me and she said, your song, Music of the Day, Sing, Bird, Sing, saved my life. And I thought what she meant was so I was going, going through a bad patch and, you know, that song was a kind of, you know, really good for her. It kept, it uplifted her. But she said, no, 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 no. It really physically, physically saved my life. And that was an incredibly moving moment. And yeah. this song meant so much. It's a very serious song, a, a, a lovely singable chorus. So that's that's the sort of effect that music, you know, has on people. And uh, again, I'm, I'm always, I'm always, 
grateful for it. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and for your kids as well, that they perform with you, was that, was that such an exciting thing to see them growing up to be able to, you know, join you in that way? Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, we, we, we did a one lovely big tour, uh, or not tour, but the big show in Sydney at the Seymour Centre with all my all my four children in the show, and uh, that was lovely. And but they've been in they've they've been in various videos. My three three older girls have been in the video. Uh, my little groove video, they're all in that. Mm. Uh, my two youngest children, um, Emily and Tom, were in the Christmas video, the Chopsticks video, the Spook video. Uh, so they've been very much a part of my of my music music life, and yeah. that's lovely. And uh, I guess they're all musical, they're all good at it. So that, that's been a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Was it a surprise to you that they wanted to get into music or that your son wanted to be a musician? Was it, was that a great surprise or was it completely <laughs> what you thought he would end up doing? Uh, well, not, not a huge surprise. I, I, yeah. I wasn't at all. I knew from a very young age he was very talented and same as his, you know, his, the sister, his sisters as well, they're, they're all very musical. So I guess it wasn't a great surprise when music became a very big part of their lives. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm the only person in the family who's taken it up full time as as a as a profession as a performer. Mm-hmm. But my son, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. My son, Tom, could have. He's a very fine guitar player. He's a wonderful trumpeter. Uh, he plays drum, plays bass, sings well, writes well. And his sister, Emily, likewise, my, my youngest, she's also a very good songwriter, mm-hmm. wonderful violin player. Uh, and got an incredibly good sense of music, very very musical. So I guess I wasn't that surprised. No, that they, but but none have actually um, taken it up as a full time career like I have. So, mm. but, but music music remains a very important part of all their lives. Yeah. Why Why do you think music is so important to you? Is that was it listening from a young age to what your parents were playing and the feeling that people get when they listen to music? What What was it for you? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's that. I think the very thing you just said is the it's the feeling you get when you listen to music. It's mm-hmm. um it's some sort of spiritual uplifting thing. You, you can you can't ever quite put it into words. What a beautiful piece of music does for you. Mm. Uh, it, it you know you can use something like it gives you goosebumps. You can't quite find why it gives you goosebumps, but it just yep. does. And uh, and of course, the music's very subjective. I mean, what may give me goosebumps may not give someone else goosebumps. That that's a, a part of music which uh, for people who love it is a, uh, a, a interesting sign, I guess. That that's how, that's how music affects people. And uh, so yes, I think what you said that it's, it's how it makes you feel. Yeah. In my case, um, because I grew up in the the folk. I grew up in the folk protest era, the era of Peter Paul and Mary, Simon and Garfunkel, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, all that. There was a sense of uh, music was more than just music. It was actually, it had some really good positive messages about the world, mm. you know, about peace. Um, these days, um, I've written a song about climate change because I feel very strongly about climate change. Mm. And uh, but, but music, so music is always being a part that's making you feel good can actually spread some good good messages. Not, not I don't mean like preachy type stuff, but uh, can actually um, lyrics of songs can be really really important. And I, I've always loved lyrics. Yeah. And uh, why all those people I said just said a minute ago 
Um, I love their music because they're, they're brilliant, brilliant writers, the lyrics and and music. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've got uh, standard questions I ask on this podcast, Peter. Uh, and if you don't have an answer to any of them as well, that's totally fine. We can move right along. But the standard questions start with: What trait in people do you admire the most? What kind of people are you drawn to? Uh, I'm draw- very much drawn to people who have a generous spirit. Uh, mm. People I geared away from, people who are very critical, who don't have a generous spirit. And some of my closest friends are, are like that. Uh, so that would be, a, I, I guess, a, a um, people who are kind. Mm. That, that's a big thing for me. Uh, people who genuinely care about other people, you know, mm. not just pretend to, but really care about other people. But I think that, that sense of a generous spirit. And I had a, a, a lovely friend of mine who who died about uh, five months ago. And when people asked him what was it like about Graham, I said he had this wonderfully wonderful generous spirit. Mm. And I'd play an al- a new album of mine because I always like, loved to play them to him. And he'd give me a full rundown, very honest rundown. But he was always just very generous, honest but generous in his comments. And, I- and I've always I've always admired that trait in people. Yeah, that's beautiful. If you could choose to be born into an environment, what would that look like? Do you do you think your childhood was kind of the perfect childhood? Well, I wouldn't say perfect, but I mean it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I-, I was a very ha- happy child, and I can't. I can't remember any any you know incidents in my childhood that uh, were were, were going to make me very unhappy, and not everyone has that has that luck. I mean, my my wife um, lost a brother or sister through from cystic fibrosis growing up, and I know that's had a big impact on her. And mm. I can never I never underestimate how much that that has affected affected her. But luckily, I never had that, and uh, I just had um, this lovely you know almost too good to be true childhood. And yeah. uh, see, I've never. never appreciate it it had a very very big and, and continues to have a very big impact on my life yeah amazing uh, what's your favorite thing about yourself ah <laughs> oh um probably i say i laugh a lot yeah i find i find a lot i find lots and lots of things funny and uh i i i, so I really appreciate you know people who are genuinely funny so mm. my idols and idols of people like john cleese uh, michael palin uh, the goons. I, I love Rob Sitch speaking in an Australian text. Oh yeah, he's, he's really really clever. I love John Clark, John Clark and Brian Dore. Yeah. In fact, I had a, a lovely little story about John Clark, which is a if you know if you know his work, how droll he is. Yes. This, yeah. This story will appeal to you. I I have an I have an old and have an album. In fact, it's here actually. I'll show, I'll show it to you. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see. This album is an album called <laughs> Clark and Dore. And uh, it's on the back. It's, it's got a uh, track for is an interview with you know they used to interviews John yeah. John Clark the guy being interviewed and uh, Brian Dorby the guy being the interviewer. Anyway, but there's one of it with Alexander Downer, and I loved it. And I actually ran over with my car. This is probably twenty years ago now, <laughs> and I I just could not I could not get a replacement CD. So in the end, in sheer desperation, I emailed John Clark. I was a big huge fan. Yeah. Uh, didn't want him to think I was some weird, weird fan. I said, "Look, <laughs> I'm a big fan, but I cannot get hold of this album. Can you can you point me in the right direction? I get, get one." He just said, "No problem. I'll send you one." <laughs> and, uh, and so he sent me sent me this this, this album. This is the album. He sent me this replacement album. Wow. See, and uh, when I when he I got it, I thought, "Oh God, that, that, that was really generous." And I said, "No, I didn't. I didn't actually offer him like you know money for the album or money for postage." I said, well, that was a bit. That was a bit uh, remiss of me. So I emailed him back and said, "Oh, by the way, I, what what can I send you? Send you for like a check for the the cost of the album and postcode." And John Clark wrote back and said, "I'll, I'll quote him in exact words. 
No need for check. Have whole book of them here already. <laughs> if you know, yeah. that, that's classic, classic John Clark. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I grew up on Phillip Island, Peter, and and he used to have a holiday house down there. And the the first time I ever. I got into filmmaking and I was about 15 and he gave up his time to be in a comedy sketch that I had put together. And he was one of the funniest, funniest people. And, oh, and, and so lovely and generous with his time. But he used to call my house to check up on me occasionally. And I never knew that the calls were coming through because he just chat to my dad for an hour at a time. Just, just so generous with his time. And one of the greatest um, influences on so many people i i love that everyone has a great john clark story yeah that's well it's so it's classic john clark isn't yeah. it <laughs> no 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 have whole book of here already i wish i never got to meet john i'd love to i was i just always i was a huge fan i love the fact that he never embraced the celebrity cult he was never a celebrity just no being and famous but not in that kind of um, look at me, aren't I interesting? Aren't I terrific? Sort of famous. And, yeah, uh, you, you're very lucky to have had that experience with him because he, he was very, very loved in in, in showbiz. Everyone loved John Claude. John Claude. Uh, the next question is, what's something about yourself that you would change? Oh, um, I possibly, I possibly, as a child, would have learnt, learnt a few maybe hard practical skills. I'm, I'm probably the world's worst handyman, and I, I'd like I'd like not to be the world's worst handyman. Um, so I, I, maybe I'd change that. Yeah, uh, what, I, I would learn a few, but that that comes from from your your home life. My dad was not a, not a great handyman either, but unfortunately, I met Carol's dad. I was uh, Ray was a fantastic handyman. He, he could actually do anything. So yeah, I was I was incredibly inferior to him because he he just could fix anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I couldn't. So maybe, maybe that become uh, learn a few yeah. handy skills. Any any else I would change? Um, I change the way I do. I've done things. Sure. Uh, the two events in my life that I, I would do differently now. One was the staying in England longer when I was doing a television program for the BBC. The yeah. other one was um, avoiding the ABC. Uh, the, the, with the ABC back in nineteen ninety three. It's a long story. I won't, I won't tell you the whole story, but. I feel it was partly my fault that um, that I, I stopped being with the ABC because I was offered a, a very generous contract. Contract, and one one way or the other, it wasn't all my fault. It was partly my fault. the The contract was dropped, which and I was, it was sort of the peak of my career. It was yeah. just after, after the live album that and that was, became a, became a, a, a gold album and it won an aria. But anyway, that, so that, they're the two things I would do differently if I had my time over again. Yeah, was that was that a really hard thing with the, with the contract being dropped by the ABC? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a big deal, and uh, so I do blame myself partly for it. Unfortunately, I'm a very a very unfortunate lawyer, and uh, the manager I had then wasn't wasn't particularly helpful. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, having said that, I mean, I was partly to blame too. So I, I would I would have done things differently because. I was really riding high at that stage in my career with, um, with the Christmas album going gold in about five weeks. Uh, wow. Live album, live album won an aria. Toffee Apple Newspaper Mama both won arias. So I was offered a four-album a four album deal. So um, anyway, look, these things happen and you can't change them. But I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a very determined person. Hmm. And uh, I, I thought, well, that's happened. Uh, it's partly my fault. Not all my fault. Partly my fault. Carry on. Um, just 
doing what, doing what you need to do. Yeah, there's that positivity that you talked about before, a very positive person to, to you know, just always keep going. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I, I can never see the point in being negative. I mean, neg- negativity mm. gets you nowhere. Um, be, mm. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to be realistic as well, but I think that being positive is a really very, very important thing. And in showbiz, you have to be positive because there's going to be all all sorts of uh, hurdles you have to have to overcome, and you have to be a very determined, single-minded person to to overcome them. And yeah. uh, I am that, so uh, I guess that's why I'm still around doing it because uh, I love it, and uh, it's the one thing I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a whole lot of things I'm no good at. A list that big. <laughs> and I got a couple of things just that big that I'm good at, and uh, because I'm still doing it, and the people still come to the shows, I'm I'm really pleased to, and I'm still healthy enough, despite this irritating cough at the moment. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, basically, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, there's not going to be a Peter Coombe handyman business anytime soon. You don't think? Probably not. No, I won't. I won't start out like like Jim's mowing. It won't <laughs> be Peter Coombe's mowing. <laughs> I mean, people my age would love that. We would all hire you straight away. Well, yeah, yeah, but pro- probably to their detriment. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter Coombe, when are you at your happiest? Um, um, I think watching a film I love, doing a doing a concert, probably doing a concert is when I'm at my most happiest. Mm. Um, writing, write, finishing writing a song which I know is good because songwriting is always is always challenging. Yeah, uh, watching something, watching some fantastic film, watching something particularly funny that I love, la- mm. laughing a lot. Um, but it probably, yeah, I, th- I think number one would have to be when I'm performing. That's what I, mo- I most love doing, and, uh, and that's uh, that's something I still do. And uh, yeah, so, so it's pro- probably that, that that's probably number one. Yeah, you you say you're a very optimistic person and you're so upbeat and happy. When when are you are you at your lowest? Oh well, I know. I know when I what I was at my lowest. Um, mm. It's only really happened probably once in my life. But when my father died back in yeah. nineteen ninety, I was very low then. I was quite numb because I adored my father, and I really struggled for about at least a good twelve months because I'd never I'd never lost anyone you know that close to me before. Mm. So even though even though he was well, it still came as a shock. And uh, five years later, I wrote a song about it, which I which I you know about him about dad. And I uh, recorded on an album called Songs from a Telephone Box. But that would have been, that 12-month period was pretty bad because uh, he died in the middle of the, middle of the spook tour and mm. I had to come back for one day in Adelaide, go to the funeral and then carry on and carry on the tour. And that was really hard going because I had to, you know, go on stage and we'll be all happy and all that sort of stuff, what I normally do. But, of course, deep down I was actually pretty unhappy. And uh, so that that was a... Very challenging twelve to fifteen months of my life. But eventually, eventually, I got through it by going to see a hypnotherapist, and uh, I was able to, uh, I guess, um, I guess, do a lot of crying. Really, yeah, do that. But I wrote, I wrote a song called "Cry for Your Father," which I'm always very proud of because it expresses exactly how I felt about yeah. losing. So, uh, but that, that, that's one of my serious ones. It, it won't won't appear on a children's album. <laughs> uh, who had the greatest influence on you? Growing up, yeah. Um, I would say, well, my parents, mm-hmm. probably, yeah, both my mother and my father. But the other person that had a lot of influence was my was my father-in-law. Um, he became quite a quite a. Um, Is this Ray? Uh, it's right, yeah, right, right, yeah. Ray the great handyman. Handyman, yeah, yeah. But he was also a very a very philosophical person, 
highly intelligent and he mm. was a scientist and he became he began quite a mentor for me from the age of about well, the moment i started going out with carol so that mm. was about 18 through to about 23 24 i really re- regard this thing a person of, of supreme wisdom mm. and uh, so he had an enormous influence on me in a very sort of one-on-one sort of way and but 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 my own parents also have had a lot of influence um mm. it, i mean people from afar musically uh people i don't know had a lot of influence on me i was very said very i grew up on peter paul and mary who uh i don't know whether he, uh, do you remember them at all or you, or you no no i don't yeah I don't, I don't know them well they were like they were like um like you two or or coldplay or or rolling wow. the 60s they were huge when I, when I first heard Peter Paul and Marie, this would have been back in about 1964, they were just the the, the going thing that they, they were mm. everyone was listening to. It was the beginning of the folk movement, and they were huge. And I went to hear yeah. them twice in brilliant, brilliant performers. So, uh, but I never, I, I never met, I met, actually met one of them. I met Paul, actually. I did a, I did a support act with him in a concert in Adelaide. So, so that they that but they had a lot a lot of influence on me, but but from afar, not not so much from meeting them personally. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, who do you choose to surround yourself with now, and has that changed over time? Um, I think I tend to surround myself with uh, lots of old friends, mm. uh, lots of family, of course. But I do I very much tend to um, gravitate towards people with a positive view of life. Um, yeah, people who you know really really are optimistic with people. I struggle with people who are always down, who are always grizzling about the state of affairs and things. Because mm. uh, you got to say, well, look, if you yeah, let's just do something about it. <laughs> um, so I think I tend to like being with people who are who are very very positive. Uh, and but you know, but not not everyone's like that. Not everyone's a cup half full person. Is that that's just the way? For whatever reason, that's the way I tend to be built. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, that, that, that's that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> if you could pinpoint a moment in time that you think had the greatest impact on you, what do you think that would be? Oh, gee, that's a, that's a really hard one. It got its impact on me. Mm. Uh, I think my children being born would be really up there, or my yeah. four children being I unfortunately wasn't able to see my first child, Joni, because we weren't. In those days, fathers weren't allowed in the room, but I saw the next three. I saw yep. uh, Alice, Emily, and Tom. Be they, they, they had a pretty big impact on me. Yeah. Uh, what, what else? Um, I think. Uh, oh, other. I mean, other other moments in time. I can say, one, I could probably almost say almost the most exciting moment in my life. If I look back on it, was probably the plane touching down in the grey skies of London in 1977. Uh, when we went to England, we'd never been to England before, and I didn't realise how much how much that was going to change my life. I wow. felt head over heels in love with the UK, and always have been since. Mm. But that moment where the, the plane was just just gliding into the land and at Heathrow will always remain with me as a really pivotal pivotal part of my life. Yeah, and uh, those three just just, just I, I you know. That I I would name them as as the best years of my life. I think those three years in England, and said as I said. I only wish we could have stayed longer, but that's uh, that's that's being wise after the event again. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you've you've already spoken about your father passing, but I'll ask this question anyway, just to see if there is a another answer here. What's the hardest thing you've been through, and did it change you? Um, well, probably that. Yeah, my father dying was probably the 
have been through. And of course, it sounds a bit uh, strange because everyone loses their parents, so everyone goes through that time. But but you know that that if the question is what is the hardest thing I've been mm. through, I think there has to be that. Like I can't think anything else that's harder. Uh, I've lost other people in my life um, who I you know good friends have died. Um, my my parents in law both died. I, I love them both too. Yeah. Uh, but I'd have to say my dad dying in 93 was probably was the hardest. It came as such a shock. I think yeah. that, that's what my this is my song was about, Cry for Your Father, that there's a line that goes, fathers live forever, don't they? It's like a question. And uh, yeah. because you, you tend to think of your parents as being as being immortal. And I think some of my, my kids, um, especially my third daughter, thinks the same about Carol and me, that somehow we're immortal and we'll <laughs> never die, but of course we will. Uh, so that yeah, but that that would be that would be the the biggest thing in my life. Yeah, yeah, but he would have been very young as well at the time, and so it's a very, you know, a very different thing. You said it was a shock as well. Well, I wasn't wasn't that young. I, I would have been uh, he died in ninety three, so I was actually 40, 44 then. Mm. Uh, so I was you know, reasonably sort of um, you know not ter- terribly young, but it just had had an incredible impact on me. And uh, yeah, you know, and so. I, I'm very sympathetic to people who lose their parents because it was a, it's a it's a big deal, and it doesn't yeah. really matter whether the parent is uh, seventy odd or even ninety odd. Um, it just uh, you lo- you lose someone who's very dear to you, and uh, that's what happened with me. And uh, uh, and I yeah I've always um, it just makes you appreciate them. And yeah. I was finally able to write a song about it, so that that was almost a kind of clo- closing the circle in a way, writing yeah. a song. On- what gets you going now every day? What motivates you to keep doing what you do? Uh, love of children, uh, mm. love of music. Mm. I, I, run, I run five times a week to keep myself mm. in reasonable condition. I, I run because it's good for me. I also run because I, I like doing it. I've, yeah. got song, I've got a song called Run. <laughs> <laughs> a little Groover album. And that, and that song is quite autobiographical. It's kind of very true. Uh, so that, that running gets me going. But, but yeah, I just... Um, uh, what was that? Just tell me the exact, the exact question again. So the the exact question is: What gets you going every day? What motivates you now? Well, I think I think I, I look forward to. I could probably say I look forward to Mondays. Some people mm. hate, Mondays, but I don't because I because I enjoy my work so much. I look forward to Monday Monday morning, um, getting up and um, if I'm if I've got a tour coming up, I look forward to that. Mm. Uh, at, at the moment, um, I'm looking forward next year to actually doing some more writing. I haven't done a lot of writing over the past uh, three or four years. R- composing does get harder when you get older. It, it's mm. hard to get yourself down and do it. And uh, the next year, I decide I, I need to do some more writing. So I'm going to set aside this this year, 2022, very much a performance year. I've done about about 80 concerts this year. And mm. next year, I'll probably do best concerts, uh, I'll, and I'll do more writing. So that's something I look look. For, that's something I look forward to in 20, 2023. I look I look forward to doing the fringe again. Yeah, I, I guess I guess some of that. Was, I, I look I look forward to working all the time. I, I love working. And yeah, working for me pretty much a labour of love. And I'm very lucky in that. Uh, well, lucky in a sense. I mean, you kind of you get to that point not just through luck, but but through determination, hard work. But um, but I, I'm lucky in the sense that I like what I do. And I enjoy getting up in the morning and, and doing it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I've um I've done that. I'm turning this back on. I'm really about to end the podcast, but I uh I did stand up for about uh eight years. So I did I did Adelaide Fringe and all the fringes for a long time. And this is my connection to you, um, P 
Peter as well. So my first laugh ever that I got was when I was in primary school and the music teacher came in and they always sang Juicy Juicy Green Grass to get us all going in the in the morning in primary school. And my big laugh was the first big laugh I ever got was I kept going with the song after it finished. So Juicy Juicy Green Grass, everyone finished the song. And I did another verse of Juicy Juicy Green Grass. And it was just the biggest laugh back then. I mean, it doesn't sound... <laughs> It doesn't sound funny at all now, but that was just the biggest laugh that that I remember getting and inspired me to go and do that sort of in that area. So my connection to you is that and that you have inspired lots of people. So really, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, that, um, I'll just tell you one little quick thing about Juicy Juicy Greengrass. Mm. Back in 1983, it was the first year I was, I was doing this professionally, is uh, I, I was commissioned to write nine songs for a, for a play called The Colour Keeper, singing and acting in it. And one of the songs, which is Greengrass. But for some reason, the director didn't like the song. I didn't feel it was suitable for the show. So it was of the night, that was the one that got left out. And I knew, I knew it was the best song. It was obvious it was the best song. I, I thought this, this song got a real future. So I, for having, of course, fast forward by 30 years, of course, the song's become one of my big ones. Yeah. So um, I still don't wonder why the lady chose to, to exclude that song from the play. It would have would have made the play better. Anyway. Again, Absolutely. That, that's, that's the past. <laughs> and I would have loved it as well because that's my favourite, my absolute favourite. Now, Peter Coon, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me, SamPeterson91 on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast. Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're they're great producers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye.